Attention SLPs and OTs with existing private practices. Are you ready to level up your private practice and your life and make this your breakthrough year? If so, join us for Make More in 2024, a free training offered on Thursday, March 21st at 8 p.m. Eastern to discover how to shift from clinician to CEO. During the training, we'll talk about the importance of maximizing your income, adding revenue streams, setting up systems, and more so that you can ultimately work smarter and build a successful, sustainable, and sellable business. To sign up, just visit growyourprivatepractice.com backslash training. Don't miss the chance to learn how to effectively navigate the growth phase of the private practice journey. See you on the training. Hello, and welcome to this episode of the Private Practice Success Stories podcast. I can't wait to introduce you to Alexandria Zachos. She is a private practitioner in the Chicago, Illinois area, and she talks about how she started her private practice small and on the side, and then during her maternity leave, decided to flex into more full-time private practice after she felt like she could make a go of it. She also talks about how she has her private practice scheduled around her kid's schedule and how she has a niche private practice primarily focusing on social skills. So without further ado, here's Alexandria. My name is Jenna Castro-Casbon. I am part of a group of private practitioners who have taken client care into our own hands. We are skilled clinicians who pride ourselves on providing high quality care to our clients and their families. We are fighting against productivity requirements, administrative red tape, and unnecessary restrictions. We started our own private practices to take control of our professional and personal lives, of our schedules, of our incomes, of our future. We work hard for our clients, but on our terms. We believe in helping others, but also helping ourselves. We are not interested in competing with each other because we hope we'll all make it. We are successful private practitioners, and these are our stories. So before we get started, can Mm -hmm. you please share your name, your location, and the name of your private practice? Sure. My name is Alexandria Zakos, and I live just outside of Chicago, Illinois. My practice is in a west suburb called Westmont, and the name of it is Social Butterfly Incorporated. Fantastic. And I'm so excited and thankful to have you on the uh, episode today to share your journey to private practice. Yeah, Um, thanks for having me. You're welcome. Can we start at the beginning? Share with the listeners you know, maybe where were you either, you know, during grad school or immediately after grad school, your clinical fellowship? What were those early years in your career like? Sure. I went to MGH Institute of Health Professions for my grad degree out in your neck of the woods, Boston. That's right. And I loved it. I loved every minute of it. And when I entered grad school, I thought that I would be a medical SLP. But I ended up doing one of my placements at Perkins School for the Blind, and I just fell in love with that. And actually, when I moved back to Illinois, I was very disappointed to find that our school for the blind was in, like, central to southern Illinois Mm -hmm. and nowhere near where I wanted to live. So I ended up accepting a job in a public school. And I was there for actually nine years. But during that time, I started my private practice on the side. 
So I've actually had my private practice for 10 years, but I've been working in it pretty much full time, which I can get into that later, but for the past um, seven and a half years. That's fantastic. Um, yeah. And I held other jobs during those nine years at the public school. I did some peer on work inpatient at a hospital. I worked at an outpatient clinic and I just had the mindset back then that I wanted to try everything and just sort of see what I really liked because the scope, our field is so huge. There's so many different things. And I always thought that when I opened my practice, I wanted to focus on one or two specific areas and have more of a niche. Nice. Now, let me ask you a question. So when you were at the school Mm -hmm. and you were working at some of these different positions, PRN, Mm -hmm. were any of those positions in a private practice? Yes, I did for a little while work in a private practice. It was a really short while though, because at the time I really wanted to decide whether or not I wanted anything to do with the medical SLP world and a position sort of fell into my lap and I ended up doing basically inpatient swallow studies, all of that at a hospital and realized that was not for me. That's a really important thing, right? Sometimes, I mean, you mentioned that going to MGH, that one of the things you thought you wanted to do was medical SLP. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think that, you know, part of the journey that we have in our careers, because our scope is so large, as you mentioned, yeah. is to not only find the things that we really like, but to also maybe find the things that we don't like as much as we thought we would, so that we can craft our own journey and create what we want to do in the field. Exactly. I love it. Okay. So you got a variety of experiences when you were in the school Mm -hmm. and then what led to you starting to see some private clients on the side when you were at the school setting? Sure. So I was in an elementary school. It was actually early childhood to second grade. And I had a family that I just really got to know. And they asked me once their son was leaving second grade and no longer on my caseload, if I would see him over the summer. And also around that time, I was working with a social worker in the school, and she and I were just very passionate about pragmatic language and social groups. And we both at the time did not have children. We had our summers off. And so we thought, you know, let's see if we can't get some groups going this summer. And that's kind of how private practice started for me. That's so exciting. So you saw you had an opportunity to work Mm -hmm. with this child. But Mm -hmm. you also, it sounds like with the social workers, saw a need for services that maybe these kids were either going to be lacking in the summer or maybe altogether. Yes. So I like that you brought that up, that need. So it stemmed from our interest area. We both, you know, like I said, were really passionate about the social groups we were running in the school. But for our listeners that know about school systems, if you have social skills, difference or deficit, you're not necessarily going to qualify for services over the summer in a school district. So yes, there is a need for those kids to continue working on those skills over the summer. That's great. So did you guys end up running a group or two? We did. We actually ran the first summer, I want to say four different groups. So we just did kind of like one day, we would get together to prep 
um, a little bit beforehand and worked one day. And we put our heart and soul into those groups that summer because obviously there, it wasn't a lot. It was just four groups. We offered four different age ranges, actually. And then the following summer, we mailed out a bunch of postcards and flyers to other schools and just told the parents, that we knew and to spread the word and we got even more kids the following summer. That is incredible. The power mm-hmm. of word of mouth yes. and yes. doing a good job and letting your work speak for itself. Yeah. And I don't know, you know, how common this is in other areas in the U S but we have a lot of just sublets around here. So what we actually did is we looked in an area close to the school and we sublet from a massage therapist for like basically three months. And it was just kind of a one room deal. There was no nothing in it because she would bring her massage table and everything. So we actually every week would bring in a kid's table and chairs and whatever else we were using and we ran it out of that room. So it sounds like you guys were like, doing a pretty lean and scrappy operation. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. That worked out really well. And it sounds like this was the foundation for what happened next. Mm-hmm. Okay. So you did at least two summers of this yes. with the social worker. Yes. And at the same time though, you were still having your regular job throughout the year at the Correct. school. Correct. Okay. And so my other jobs as well. So all of that was going on. I want to point out too for people listening and, you know, thinking about private practice that I have an aunt actually that's an accountant. And when I told her this right away, she got everything going for me. So we were kind of quote unquote legal from the beginning. I had a name. I was an S for everything for taxes and everything was there. I wasn't at that point taking insurance. Parents were paying us out of pocket, but I had a bank account. So Although, you know, I like the term scrappy operation, we were running one of those, like everything was in place for a private practice. That's good to make clear. (laughs) I I have this wonderful vision of you guys hauling in these tables and chairs in your trunks and whatnot. And it's so nice to have family to, or, you know, or acquaintances who happen to be either accountants or lawyers or that kind of thing to help get people set up. And people listening, if you don't have access to those things, like family or friend-wise, ask around in like local business Facebook groups or through anyone who you know who is a business owner. Ask on the SLP Private Practice Beginners Facebook group, you know, who lives in, I don't know, Richmond, Virginia, and Mm -hmm. what who has an accountant they like, right? Because you want to be able to work with someone who knows a little bit about private practices. And what that looks like, because, you know, our businesses look very different from, say, bakeries or, I don't know, brick and mortar, like retail locations that sell antiques or something like that, right? Mm-hmm. So just as an aside, you and your social worker friend were running these groups for two summers. And then what happened next? Okay, so she actually decided she no longer wanted to work in the summer. So I thought that I would be starting this private practice with her. But I did not. So I thought, okay, well, we'll just see what happens. Maybe I'll do something with it or not. The second summer I got married. So at the end of July, I got married. You know, we went on our honeymoon. I came back, got ready for the school year. So 
I guess fast forward to two years in 2012, I had my first daughter and I had a maternity leave from the school. So my husband and I decided that that was going to be my chance to see if I could get the private practice off the ground. And I've said this many times, I'm going to say it again, if my daughter was not such a good baby, I don't know if this private practice would be here today. Because unlike many first-time mothers, like I actually did feel like I had time. She was just a good eater, a good sleeper. My second daughter is a whole nother story. Um, but with the first one, I just, I did feel like I had time. So I designed a website. I just started doing everything to actually get things moving. You know, I was super surprised that people actually found my website and were calling me. Reflecting back, like, I don't really know what I did. I guess I was, like, putting things on there that helped me get higher up on the Google searches, but it was just all kind of random trial and error, I think. But uh, calls started coming in, and so I started thinking, maybe I don't go back to this job and just really, you know, try to make this happen. And that's actually what ended up happening. The first year, my husband and I were sort of like two shifts in the night because he worked four 12-hour days and he would be off on Fridays. And then he would come home and basically be with my daughter and I would see some clients in the evening, like even like seven, eight o'clock or something. And then Saturdays and maybe sometimes Sundays. And that's sort of how the first year went. I think I only saw about 10 people. Wow. And then that way I was home with her. We didn't really have childcare. But um, the funny thing about my practice is that every single year I've been in it, it has looked totally different and has just kept growing. So just, I guess, flash forward to right now, 2019, I have one location, brick and mortar office with myself and three other therapists that work for me. I hired an administrative assistant this year. I'm looking at a possible second location and I am truly working full time in my practice now. Congratulations. That sounds like such a wonderful, just metamorphosis over time and how great that you had that space and that time and thank you to that first daughter of yours for being yeah. <laughs> right that you yeah. could really get those ducks in a row and get mm -hmm. your website up and you know depending on what area people live in there's not that much competition for speech therapy private practices as opposed to other types of businesses you know yes you do want to use good principles of search engine optimization but for the most part you know, you can put up a website that, you know, you do the best job you can on it. People are able to rank fairly well in Google. Now, if you're in a more competitive area, that's more difficult. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm glad to hear that you were able to get those clients and that they started calling and this whole thing was able to take off. Yes. And I do also want to mention that that second year that I did groups, I actually got in network with Blue Cross Blue Shield. And so I have been in network with them, you know, since the beginning, and they're still the only insurance that I take, but they are a very popular insurance in this area. And I haven't really had a need to go in network with other insurance companies. Nice. And so where did the majority of your referrals come from these days? Is it from the Blue Cross website? Is it from marketing that you guys are doing? Do you have 
specific referral sources? So that's a good question. Oddly enough, I do not do any marketing and I don't know that anyone really finds us on the Blue Cross website. I would say I get clients two ways, basically word of mouth from my other clients or they find me on Google. Actually, a lot of people finding me on Google. I do think that people just type in speech therapy near me when they see a need or decide that they want their child to receive services outside of school. Yeah. And those are really the low-hanging fruit kinds of people. When people go to Google, not everybody thinks about this. So think about this for a second. When you go to Google and you type in something like some kind of services near me or sushi restaurants near me or whatever, Mm -hmm. there's intent to purchase or hire, right? Mm -hmm. So you need to have a good website that is findable in Google because the people who are going to those websites are going there with intention to hire somebody. Mm -hmm. Unlike if you're, you know, maybe shopping on Amazon and you're looking for like, I don't know, a new pair of running shoes, right? And you may go to lots of different sites to find running shoes for whatever kind of runner you are. I don't know. I'm not a runner. So, but when you, you do have to have a website to capture those low hanging fruit of people who are looking for you, but you also mentioned the word of mouth marketing mm-hmm. because you're doing a great job with your clients and they have their own networks of people who they're in touch with. And when they have a good experience with you, they're so happy to recommend you to other families who are in similar situations. So even if someone hears about you through word of mouth, the first thing they're going to do is also look you up on the internet. Correct. Yes, that is so true. I wanted to say a couple of things about that. Like for the beginning years, I had a not very impressive website. I just threw it together myself. And then when I just got to the point where I really felt like I needed to hire and that things were growing, I started feeling concerned about like filling other people's caseloads. And I knew it was time to like have a much nicer website. And so that's what I did. I hired somebody to redesign my website and I'm super pleased with how it it turned out. And I do think that that has helped having a professional looking website. The other thing I wanted to say is, and I can get into this a little later too, but I feel like my practice is pretty niche. And so when people are looking for speech therapy services in my specific areas, I do think that we stand out. And so that is another reason that I think I haven't had to do any marketing and people have found me just, you know, through the website and word of mouth. Yeah. So tell our listeners what your niche is. Well, first and foremost, definitely social communication. And that's how everything started from the very beginning. So we do run several groups and we pretty much we pride ourselves on making sure that kids are grouped well together. So I love social thinking, Michelle Garcia winners curriculum. And we use that loosely with other things as well. But I love her social dynamic assessment and just figuring out where kids fall on that and then grouping them according to their social mind. I have found in my area, at least, that a lot of clinicians are grouping according to age. And those groups don't always work really well. You could have a nuanced social communicator with a challenged social communicator and you could not be meeting anyone's goals, but they both happen to be 10 years old. 
I think the way that we group kids has made a huge difference. And like I said, I don't feel like a lot of people are taking the time to group kids like this. I know that I've seen this too on chats on your Facebook page that I think groups are challenging for a lot of people to put together and to make work. And so I think that has been huge for us. And we get a lot of kids on the autism spectrum, but also just kids that are struggling with friendships, either they don't have a diagnosis is ADHD. We do actually service quite a few neurotypical kids. So that's number one. The second thing that has kind of happened for me in the past few years is I've become really passionate about treating delayed echolalia, both on and off the autism spectrum. And I, you know, at the beginning uh, years ago was always taught redirect, ignore. I had no idea what to do about echolalia. And I came across Marge Blanc's book, Natural Language Acquisition. And I read the whole thing cover to cover and then contacted her. And she basically ended up becoming my mentor. And I presented with her at ASHA in LA and then again at ASHA in Boston. And Then I got super passionate about it and started emailing special ed directors and I started presenting locally here at different school districts and clinics. This year so far, I'm taking a break. I haven't done anything, but I've kind of more been trying to mentor my own staff so that they can start seeing some of these clients as well. Like I just said, I'm just really passionate about that. And the third area is I love seeing adults that stutter. I have like a handful of adults that come and see me during their lunch breaks. And um, I love, you know, keeping that adult piece part of our practice. Yeah. Well, I think that that sounds really nice to not only have your niche, have groups and to really be thinking about how you can even further differentiate yourself by the way you're grouping your clients. I think that that's really smart in terms of the outcomes. Mm-hmm. Um, for your, the families and for the kids that you're working with, right? That you can be able to, you know, I'm sure you guys, you know, get nice testimonials and that kind of thing Mm -hmm. based on some of the progress that your clients are making. I also really like what you said about mentoring other staff members Mm -hmm. with your areas of expertise. You can only do so much. One of my next questions is what are your current roles within the practice in terms of treating or doing with billing or what are you currently doing within your practice responsibility wise versus what other people are now doing too? Yeah. So I think I was doing something you preach against for a really long time, just wearing all the hats, like literally doing every single thing. I think that just leads to major burnout. And so I have come to the conclusion that I cannot fully work in my business and run my business. So I am decreasing my caseload slowly. I don't think it's wise for me to carry a full caseload because I can't get everything done. Um, I also, like I said, hired an administrative assistant finally. So that's helpful. And I mentioned this earlier, but every year I've been doing this has looked different. And the thing I love the most about private practice is the flexibility. So basically I work around my kids' schedule. That is how I have designed things for myself. So 
This year, my youngest is doing a like a preschool four program where she does three full days and two half days. So I basically work while she's at school and then Saturdays. So I eventually would like to not see clients on Saturdays, but that's working out really well considering I only stay a little bit later on Wednesdays to see after school kids. So I can still kind of see that school age caseload by keeping the Saturdays. But my preschool and kindergarten population has definitely grown. So I mean, I'm basically seeing kids like all day, three days a week and trying to do business stuff a couple half days, actually four days with the Saturday. Like you said, 2020 is going to be a big change for me. I would like to decrease my caseload, have some of my strong staff members, and hopefully I will hire another SLP in the coming months, take over some of my caseload plus, you know, more. I have so many kind of things that I want to focus on. We started a YouTube channel. I would like to get educational material and more literature out there about delayed echolalia. So just other things I want to do. I love it. And you can't do those things if you're doing other things within your practice that other people could be trained how to do and do them well, right? Yes. Yes. Right. And it took me a while to realize that. (laughs) Well, it takes everyone a long time to realize that. I think it takes until you're starting to feel that burnout Uh or starting to feel, you know, there's a saying, hire when it hurts. Mm-hmm. If you get to that point where it's hurting, then it's time to do something about it because you don't want your quality of life to suffer. Mm-hmm. And I really like what you said about designing your practice around your family life, mm-hmm. right? Because that's kind of the point for you, right? Everyone yeah. goes into this for different reasons, but if you're doing this for balance, you have to maintain that balance because it's really easy for it to get away from you. Yes, absolutely. Like I said, that for me, that has been the number one thing, flexibility. I am able to drop my kids off and pick them up every single day, which even people that kind of say, oh, well, the school schedule is great. You're on your kid's school schedule. I'm like, no, because you have to be at school early and you don't leave when your kids leave. And maybe your kid's at a different school and has a different break than you. But it's just so nice because, for example, my daughter randomly had the Monday after Thanksgiving off. So I had two clients scheduled that morning and I just said, you know, I realize my daughter doesn't have school. Like, could we move to this other day? And I just feel like I work with the best families because it was two preschoolers and they're like, sure. <laughs> Any other place you tell me about would never have that kind of flexibility for me in my life. And I love that. And I think all the negative things that can come with private practice, for example, like the insurance piece, I like none of that matters as much to me as the flexibility. So I'll basically deal with insurance all day to have this kind of flexibility in my life. I think that's so wonderful. It's all about like pros and cons and kind of thinking about like, what are you willing to do in order to have that time, right? Because what Mm -hmm. you're saying is that you're valuing the time with your family 
you're willing to put up with, you know, the headaches of insurance and other things, which by the way, you can hire someone to help you with that. Right. Maybe that's what'll be on the docket for 2020 as well. Mm-hmm. Right. But like making sure that you have that concentrated time with your girls mm-hmm. is like the most important thing, especially for their ages right now. Yeah. I fully agree. And I hear from other parents that they still need you even when they're in high school. (laughs) So I'm hoping that, you know, I can keep this up that the past seven years, like I said, I've worked around their schedules and I want to keep doing that. So just, you know, work when they're in school. And if I need to take a day or two off here, it's so easy to do that. I love it. Mm -hmm. Okay. So is there anything that we haven't talked about that you want to make sure that our listeners know about either from your journey, lessons learned, anything like that? I guess I just want to say like, don't be afraid to grow or don't be afraid to hire and take your practice to the next level. I do think I personally had a fear of that for a while. Like, oh, I'm going to have to manage other people and this is going to be another headache and it's going to take away from my time with family and I do think I had a little bit of growing pains for a little while with that, but now I guess don't fear it. I'm like, oh, now I know where my boundaries are. I've created some sort of balance and I feel like I'm excited now about the growth in the future. Well, I'm excited for you. I also just love what you said about every year looking different. Mm -hmm. And so I'm excited for you and not only what the next year looks like, but what the next decade looks like. Because yeah. at the time of this recording, mm-hmm. it's mid-end December of 2019. Mm-hmm. So it'll be really fun to see what happens for you and for your practice and for your family, not only in 2020, but beyond. Yes, definitely. So where can our listeners learn more about you and your practice online? Sure. So I'm probably most active on Instagram, SB speech therapy. And then I am on Facebook. I don't do a whole ton with that. And then we're going to have our new YouTube channel that will just be called Social Butterfly. Fabulous. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you so much for being interviewed tonight and for sharing your story with all of our listeners. I'm sure that especially the people who, you know, either have kids or want kids are going to be very interested in this, as Mm -hmm. well as people who are more interested in niche private practices and want to be able to specialize in something, no matter what that is. I think that this will be really interesting for them as well. Mm -hmm, Definitely. Thanks for having me. Thank you for being on. Take care. Bye. So how much did you love hearing about Alexandria's story and how she went from, you know, doing all of her PRN jobs and thinking about, you know, all of the different settings she could work in to starting to work on private practice on the side and then flexing full-time into private practice. She talked a lot about, you know, um, starting a private practice with kids and making sure that she had that time available for her children and that, you know, what her private practice looks like is going to change over time based on how old her kids are and what their needs are. And I'm so excited for her about that. One of the things that she talked about also was fear of growth and how she was really scared in the beginning of, hiring, of getting office space, of, you know, having more complex systems, you know, billing insurance and everything. So that's one of the things I want to talk to you about is the idea of fear of growth. And fear of growth really comes from the unknown and not having the resources and support 
to actually grow and to grow well. That's one of the things we help people do in the Grow Your Private Practice program. So if you are an established private practitioner and you're listening to this podcast and you know it's time to grow, but you don't know how, I encourage you to apply for Grow Your Private Practice. I would love to have you and help you move into the new phase of your private practice and fully step into the role of CEO. You can apply now at growyourprivatepractice.com. I hope you do. Now that you've listened to the episode, I want to invite you to a free training. Do you have a business background? Most SLPs who go into private practice don't. You went to grad school, not business school. But here you are trying to start or grow a private practice. The good news is business skills can be learned and I want to help you make solid decisions on how to start and grow your private practice so you can serve your community and build a legacy while doing therapy on your own terms and your own time and yes, make more money. I want to invite you to my free training specifically to help SLPs get the background information you need to know in order to be successful. There are two tracks, the start track and the grow track, because the needs of beginners and growth level private practitioners are very different. The trainings are short but thorough and can be consumed and put into action quickly. I want to teach you how to think, act, and behave like the private practitioner you are meant to be so that you can step into the vision you have for your private practice and your life. And the best part, these trainings are completely free. To register right now, simply visit independentclinician.com, click start or grow, and we can get started right now. Well, this episode might be over, but we don't have to say goodbye. Head on over to independentclinician.com for resources that will help you at each stage of your private practice journey. If you're on Instagram, let's connect. Follow me and send me a DM. I'm at independent clinician. And if you're on Facebook, make sure that you join the SLP and OT private practice beginners Facebook group. All right, off to help more regular SLPs and OTs become successful private practitioners. Let me know if I can help you too.